Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Stories of Light. I am absolutely ecstatic that you are here. And I'm just so overjoyed to, to really bring this program to you because the theme for 2023 is magical stories from around the world. And, you know, this is just something that I really felt called to bring through. Um, I just feel like there is so much uh, there's like so much division in the world and really like, I feel like we are at a point in our evolution, in our consciousness, where it's almost like if we can see the magic in each other, if we can see the beauty in each other, I just really feel like stories are that way. They are the, they are the vehicle um, for us to really come into like this deep appreciation of oneness. And uh, I, wanted to start this magical 2023 um, by really bringing in some of the great and magical lessons of China um, because uh, China is very, very dear to my heart. And um, for those of you who don't know, I might've mentioned this. I actually lived, I lived in this place called Chufu. Um, so I lived in uh, Chufu from 2012 to 2013. I taught English in China. And uh, that was probably one of the most profound experiences of my entire life. And um, I can just say like, what called me? What I don't even know what called me. I remember very, very vividly. I was, you know, like, 20, like 21, 22 years old. I was, I, uh, saw a sign, um, that just said like, do you want to teach English in China? And it was funny because I did like a double take. And I remember like, I, I just instantly had that deep knowing in my heart, which was yes. And it was not something that I'd ever thought of until that very moment. And so that's why it was just so powerful that like, you know, I answered the call and, I didn't like, there are certain places that like my, my whole life had whispered in my ear until that moment, China wasn't one of them, but it was just this knowing it was this knowing that like, there was something that I was meant to experience. There was some, some good that I was meant to bring through to the world by teaching English, um, in China. And so I spent, spent a year in Shufu and it was amazing because, you know, besides like my incredible, extraordinary students, I literally was, you know, in the birthplace of Confucius for a year. And so there are a lot of people like, you know, you, you know, think about China, you think of like Shanghai or Beijing, like you think of those bigger places, but like for a lot of people, like, it's almost like, a lifelong pilgrimage. Like most people in China make it at some point in their life to Chufu, uh, just because of just the, the vast wealth of wisdom that Confucius brought to the world. And, you know, the way that like, you know, he really elevated the culture, the thought forms, like just, you know, just like Confucius, um, is, is someone very, very deeply honored still to this day in China. I just wanted to read a tiny little story. I have a couple, you know, magical Chinese legends for you today. So the story I'm reading, it's from this beautiful book. Um, and um, this is just a very quick story about the morning and evening star. And uh, one thing I want to say, I feel like I make this a caveat for everything I do, whether I'm like talking about Irish legends or Welsh legends, is that I probably do not pronounce things correctly. And so for anyone who like, if I'm, if it's your culture and I'm mispronouncing it, I truly apologize. I say, I, I want to, you know, 
just, I want you to know that I'm coming with the utmost love, uh, the utmost love whenever I tell a story, even if it's from a place where I don't quite know how to pronounce it. Um, but anyway, so I want to just um, read this very, very quick story about the morning and evening star. And here it says the ancient Chinese were great astronomers. And um, recent archaeological work has actually, you know, uncovered an observatory dating back to the third millennium BC. Um, so this is uh, one of the old stories. So once upon a time, there were two stars, sons of the golden king of the heavens. One was Tashen and the other Shen. One day they quarreled. And Tashen struck Shen a terrible blow. Thereupon, both stars made a vow. They would never again look upon each other. So Tashen only appears in the evening. And Shen only appears in the morning. And not until Tashen has disappeared is Shen again to be seen. And that is why people say, when two brothers do not live peaceably with one another, they are like Tashen Chen. And um, I love this because, I mean, one, I I love all stories that have like a nature element where like nature becomes embodied. But I just I feel like that was part of my my desire for today uh, was shifting out of the division like shifting like because we've seen we've seen the story since like the the dawn of time we look at stories like Cain and Abel where it's like we have two brothers two like two people of the same blood who even they find division and I just I really feel like we are being called in this moment to just step into oneness to step you know to step into a sense of unity and so that's part of, you know, why I wanted to share, you know, some of my experiences, uh, because when I, when I went to China, I definitely felt, you know, I was in a brand new world. It, you know, like it was, it was a place though of such great, um, there was, it was, there was a timeless wisdom. That's the phrase that's coming through. There was like a timeless wisdom that I felt like I was blessed. I was blessed to receive by being there. And I can say that like one of the great things that I learned being in Shufu, the birthplace of Confucius, the word learning, it was just the value because like Confucius, I'm going to read uh, some of the analects of Confucius, but Confucius was a big proponent. Like education was everything to him. Everything was about learning, was about coming into just like, it was coming into integrity. So it was like to be, you you were becoming like educated in, in the way of books, but also educated in the way of integrity. And uh, so I feel like that's really like the legacy that Confucius, you know, like inspires in us even today. And I just want to share, like, I'm going to share a couple, like the analects of Confucius are, are vast, but I'm just going to share a couple, you know, of his of his teaching, just so you can kind of feel into um, the energy of them. And, and just like, you know, the, the energy of these teachings and, and how they resonate for you, even today, you know, thousands of years later. So here is one. Um, this is in the, the first book of the Analects. Those are all um, written by Confucius. The master said to study and at due times practice what one has studied 
Is this not pleasure? When friends come from distant places, is this not joy? And this is a very beautiful like sentiment that I really experience a lot in China and especially with Confucius. It's like when friends come from distant places, is this not joy? And there's really a great cherishing of friendship, of like that loyalty, you know, between people. And so Confucius is really honoring like the nobility of the human spirit. Um, I just, I feel that very, very strongly whenever I read his work. And uh, so then this is another, uh, another analect. So Master Zhang said, each day I examine myself upon three points in planning for others. Have I been loyal in company with friends? Have I been trustworthy? And have I practiced what has been passed on to me? So again, you're really seeing here this, this, this uh, couple things here. Have I been loyal? So we're again talking about the nobility of the human spirit and in company with friends, have I been trustworthy? Again, this emphasis on friendship. And I feel like that's very important because again, like when we're looking at, you know, different cultures, different nations, we're talking about coming into friendship. And so like that friendship, like, you know, we experience friendship in our daily lives, the people who are close to us, but really it's about like, it's, it's this, this energy of friendship of uh, reciprocation and trust. And so, you know, this is one of the, the great teachings of Confucius himself. And then I love this last point, you know, and have I practiced what has been passed on to me? Because again, like we're talking about that principle of education, and this is one of Confucius's core values. And uh, there is another analect uh, a little bit later. This is 1.8. The analects are, um, it's very uh, beautiful the way that they're laid out because there are several books. And so this is all from the first book. And so here it says, um, if you study, you will not be crude. Take loyalty and trustworthiness as the pivot and have no friends who are not like yourself in this. So again, I want to just like draw your attention. It's like the same things that we're learning. Take loyalty and trustworthiness as the pivot. So it's like put those above all else and have no friends who are not like yourself in this. So it's really this kind of um, message to be discerning. And I really do believe that we are consciously creating, you know, our heaven on earth by the things that we, we get to choose our reality. We get to choose the people we want to be part of our world. And it's really, I feel like we are called in this moment uh, to create our lives uh, in, in great benevolence. If, if, if that is uh, our desire for me, that's something that I have been doing more and more is like every day I wake up is how can I create my life from a place of true benevolence? You know, how can I really create my life in a way that like everything is harmony? And that's a, that's a very, uh, very Chinese teaching um, is really about like creating that harmony, um, harmony within harmony without, but so, you know, Confucius doesn't focus as much on harmony, but like, I just think it's really interesting when you start sitting with these concepts, these very, very ancient teachings and just seeing how they land in your body, in your consciousness. Um, and uh, there's like one more little thing here um, for the the last, the last uh, little analect that I read. So 
take loyalty and, and trustworthiness as the pivot and have no friends who are not like yourself in this. If you err, do not be afraid to correct yourself. So I love this because there's also like an implicit, there's like a forgiveness. And there's also that energy of always learning, of always recognizing that you, you know, you can shift. Like, you know, if, if you fall down in a moment that you can, you know, you can accept that, correct yourself and stand up again. So again, like, I feel like this is a principle that Confucius has, it's kind of related to like, you know, the way we uh, lead our lives coming from that place of integrity, but it's also just any life lesson, anything that we are learning in life, um, where we really just need to pick ourselves back up again, to recognize that life is this one great big learning experience. And to just see it as that is almost like we are in this, we're in this like divine school and there are many, many lessons and we can always pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off if we need to learn the lesson again. So there's just a couple more that I will read because I know that I, I don't want this to be like we're in school, but that is very Confucius actually, is that feeling of being in school. And uh, so here, I'm only going to read three more, but so here's the last one from the first book. Uh, the master said, do not be concerned that no one recognizes your merits. Be concerned that you may not recognize others. And I love that because it's that invitation to see the merit in other people, to see the beauty in others. We spend so much time like, my God, nobody recognizes, you know, my value or nobody recognizes like, you know, like there's, there's that kind of feeling where all the emphasis is placed on us being recognized, but really are we recognizing the beauty, the greatness in others? Are we recognizing their merits? Uh, and so I feel like that's just a beautiful, a beautiful little thing to think about. And, uh, there are just a couple more that I wanted to share. And so these are uh, just two more from the second book of the Analects. And so here uh, Confucius uh, has um, the master said, when one rules by means of virtue, it is like the North Star. It dwells in its place and the other stars pay reverence to it. So I love this uh, because I feel like this is speaking to the natural. It's like the harmony, the harmony that is, you know, integral to the universe. So when one rules by means of virtue, it is like the North Star. It dwells in its place and the other stars pay reverence to it. So it's that kind of idea that like when one is coming from a place of virtue, um, it's it's one of those things that everything in the universe recognizes that star. And, you know, the people will come and uh, again, the other stars will pay reference. So like, I just feel like that is just very, very beautiful. And again, there is this emphasis, there's this emphasis on virtue and uh, really living your life from that place of great virtue of the heart, great virtue of the heart and setting, you know, when you really come from that place of great virtue, seeing how everything in the universe comes into harmony. And then you really become that North star. You become that focal point for others when they are looking for peace, when they are looking for harmony, when they're looking for guidance and direction. I also love 
the North star in the sense that like, when we're looking to the sky, like that is the compass, you know, we're looking to that North star to guide us. And so it's really here. It's also like this teaching, this lesson to be guided by virtue for us to be guided by virtue that the other people in our lives, the other stars will in turn be guided by that same principle. So that one, I just love so much. I think that's so beautiful. And uh, it's the last one I will share. Um, the master said, shall I teach you about knowledge? And then he says, you. Um, and then, so this knowledge, uh, he says, is to know when you know something and to know when you don't. That's knowledge. And I just think that's, again, there's something about Confucius. Like there's just so much the wisdom, it's it's so simple and yet so palpable. And so I love that, you know, knowledge is, you know, to know when you know something and to know when you don't. And uh, so that's just a little uh, glimpse, a glimpse into the Analects of Confucius. When I was there, I, you know, I made myself, you know, read them and I don't know, like just kind of absorb them because there are, there are a lot of the Analects, like I picked ones to share with you that resonated with me. Uh, because there are a lot of analects that are all like honor, like honor your parents uh, they're, that, they're, that are really more about like there. That's a big emphasis also in traditional Chinese culture is, you know, really honoring um, leaders, parents. Like there's a lot in there about just like, you know, honoring those, honoring those around you. Uh, but I feel, I feel the ones that I felt guided to bring through were more about the, the education and the virtue, like those are the, I feel like those are the big things that I've taken from Confucius. And I also felt while I was there, uh, it, it really brought to, to, to me, like this big question of like, what is, what is true education? And it's so funny because I came in it was my, almost like my, my, my dead poet society debut. Like I came in to teach, I was teaching writing. And so I taught at, it was a Chufu normal university. And I had like, I had three writing classes and they were juniors. So all of my students had been, they had literally been studying English since they were in second or third grade. So the students that I had were very, were, were very vocal. They, they had, a lot of skills already under their belt, but they needed more help with writing. And uh, so I remember I like, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, my degree was in creative writing. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have you guys, you know, I started out like, let's write a poem. And my students could not do this. They were so, like, this was so hard for them. And uh, I, I didn't understand what was going on because I was really coming from that Western model of education. And also, you know, for me, writing was like breathing. And, uh, you know, I recognized, okay, some of you might have, you know, some of you might have a challenge, but I didn't expect almost everyone to, to really be stuck. And I asked a couple of the students, like, you know, what's, what's going on. And um, I remember like one of my students, this shocked me. Like she said that at one point when she was in, when she was in a high school, that she had written a poem and uh, you know, she showed it to her high school teacher and her high school teacher had said, like, burn this, like, don't show this to anyone. Um, and uh 
I, I almost feel like I'm not supposed to be talking about this, but I am. And, and so it's this interesting, like that there was an emphasis, you know, like not as much on individual expression and poetry and writing really was something that was, how do I say, like in, in America, I took that kind of education for granted that I would be able to you know, to, to write a poem and share my feelings and to like be seen in my individual expression for someone to hear what I had written, whether they liked it or not, you know, like, and I could just say like, you know, this is, you know, either like, this is a poem that I wrote about myself, or this is a poem I wrote about something beautiful I experienced in nature. I mean, I feel like, you know, writing literally is like this, this fundamental expression of life, but chiefly because everyone who is writing, you're coming with your own unique voice, um, your own unique presence. And I saw that my students, they had, many of them had never been asked to write a poem before. They never been asked to write a poem before. And the ones who had wanted to write a poem had experiences like the one that I mentioned where they were told like, don't show this to anybody, hide this. And um, it was like this kind of deep feeling. Like I, I knew that I was there not to, I didn't want to challenge um, the culture, um, but I wanted to show the people like that, you know, that I felt like I felt the universe had put me there and that like, I wanted to show them the beauty of language, like the, the, what, what poetry could be, what writing could be, and then they could take it or leave it. And so it was interesting. So there I was, you know, in the place where like, you know, Confucius himself, you know, like I said, was, was born, like, you know, his, his legacy was there. And it was this great question of, of education, like, I, I felt like almost like I was, I was called there to help people kind of, to help that expansion, to help that expansion of the mind of what was possible through language. And so, I mean, I honestly learned so much from my students too. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a one-way street, believe me. I feel like they probably taught me more than I taught them. Um, but like, I just learned so much. And, um, I wanted to, um, I know I've gotten a little bit off track, but I wanted to just, you know, I'm going to share a, another beautiful story, um, you know, ancient, because the way that I really, I fell in love with China when I was there and I fell in love with it because, I mean, I love like the, you know, of course, like I was, you know, this was, I was there in 2012, 2013. So, you know, I was there, you know, you know, in a modern moment, but like a, a place like China is like, millenniums like there's there's it's got such an ancient such a such a very very rich history and um so I wanted to um really just when I was there I was just immersing uh, myself in all of the ancient legends and so there's one I want to share with you today um wanted to actually read uh from this book that was I believe recently published it was called Beneath the Moon so this is The Boy and the Pearl Dragon and don't worry, this isn't that long, but I just, I want you to just like, again, to see how this lands for you. Okay. So uh, dragons in China are very powerful. They are symbols of strength, mystery, and good fortune. They can make themselves as small as silkworms or as large as the universe. They can live in heaven or deep in the ocean and control typhoons, tidal waves, floods, and rain. They can travel far distances 
and some have even been known to favor men in mountain retreats. They are often known to carry a pearl that contains much of their magical power. Dragons are so magnificent. There is even an expression in Chinese that means to hope one's son will become a dragon. And uh, this you know, leads into a beautiful story. Uh, there was once a little boy who lived in a small village that was starving from years of drought. Nothing would grow and even the wild animals were suffering. When the boy saw a fat rabbit, he followed it to its home. There he found a small patch of greenery that was flourishing, which when he dug it up was growing around a giant pearl. Thinking he could sell the pearl for food, the little boy and his mother put it in a rice jar that night and slept peacefully. In the morning, they found the once empty rice jar overflowing. The same miracle repeated itself again with the rice jar, an oil jar, and then with a box of money. The boy and his mother realized the pearl was magic and were able to stop worrying about food. But their newfound luck was noticed by greedy men who smashed the boy's house in order to find whatever he had. The little boy grew terrified and in his fear swallowed the pearl whole. He began to feel unbelievably thirsty. He drank a whole jug of water, then a whole well, when he plunged himself finally into the river. He emerged as a giant dragon, swishing his tail back and forth and frightening the men away. The boy turned dragon, looked at his mother, and she at him, and they knew he could never be changed back. So instead, he became the protector of the river, and his mother visited him often. So I just wanted to share that with you. The writer here, um, um, her name is Yoshi Yoshitani. Um, so she also has a tarot deck that that was actually the first. Um, that was the what I what I originally found her. Someone got me this tarot deck, which was literally stories from around the world, and it kind of blew my mind because I already. I'd already had the download for stories of light, magical stories from around the world. And then when I was gifted um, this beautiful tarot deck, which each card in the deck has a different magical story. I just, I knew the universe was giving me that confirmation that yes, I was supposed to really bring through all the magic from these, from, you know, from all different parts of the world, from many different cultures. Um, but so I love, I mean, I love that story because, you know, I, I feel like it's that line, like, you know, a boy may one day become a dragon. And that's the whole thing is when we look at these ancient legends, you know, we, we see just how close, how close we are to magic, how close we are to the natural world and the elements. And, you know, I just feel like there's something, there's something deep in our heart that gets activated when we hear legends of dragons. Uh, you know, when we, when we think about that, because all of us at any moment in time, we can become the dragon, you know, like, and I feel like, you know, we can call, you know, we can, we can call upon dragons like for aid, for assistance, but also it's like us becoming that embodiment 
of the dragon. And the dragon is not just, you know, it's not just fierce, but the dragon is wise. And uh, so I just wanted to share that story with you. And I'm trying to just think of any other things that I feel called to share today. I just want to share the major things that I learned, you know, when I was in China and I really just felt like when I was, I was there, I felt, I felt spirit in everything. And it was interesting because I was there in a time where like spirit wasn't celebrated the way that it would have been, you know, a few hundred, you know, even a few thousand years ago. And yet I felt that it was there undeniable, unmistakable. And I, I love telling the story. So one of the, one of the most profound experiences I had uh, was actually when I was toward the very, very end of my time in China, I climbed a mountain called Taishan, uh, is Mount, Mount Tai, uh, is the, is the English, but it was the mountain that the emperors had to climb to become emperor. And it was funny all year when I was there, everyone was like, have you climbed Taishan? Have you climbed Taishan? And it was, I, I know that it's like, you know, the universe, like spirit, like had me wait till the very end. And, uh, it's so funny because it's like one of those experiences. It's, it's, in, it's like an initiation. And so you're, and so ancient Chinese mountains, it's like, there are stairs all the way to the top. So it's not like a kind of a mountain where there's just like, you know, dirt and regular terrain. It's like, it's, it is epic. It is stairs all the way up to the pinnacle of the mountain. And I remember, you know, I was with, it was like three other people, uh, you know, when we were, we were, you know, ascending to the top of the mountain. And it's like, and you're like, you're like dying. It's so it's, it's long. And I remember thinking like, we must be there. We must be there. And there is a sign, uh, you know, it's, um, and of course it's like, you know, in, uh, it's, it's in Chinese. So you have to like translate, but literally it said, you are now halfway to the halfway point. <laughs> I would be like, what? <laughs> uh, but I mean, that's, and then I remember laughing to myself. Well, that's what happens when it's like the mountain the emperors had to climb uh, to become emperor. And uh, anyway, so we continued, got to the top of the mountain. And there's a really cool thing. So one thing that I'm always talking about is I love, you know, I love um, Chinese medicine is like, you know, a very, very uh, important part of my life you know, even to this day, and it really started 10 years ago when I lived there. And I remember, I always tell this story about the reishi mushroom. So we were climbing Taishan and uh, there was, you know, there was a man there and he had, it was like a blanket laid out. And, you know, there were, you know, fresh mushrooms that he had just picked from the forest uh, that morning. And so one of the people I was with was like, my God, that's the reishi mushroom. And so it's, it's funny because, you know, once upon a time, uh, reishi was so rare, uh, in ancient China. I mean, today it's still known as the mushroom of immortality, but it's one of those things that, you know, in ancient China, if you found the reishi mushroom, it's actually in China, it's like lingzhi. It's, um, reishi is actually, that's the Japanese word. That's, that's the one that most, um, most people in the West call it reishi, but the, the Chinese is like lingzhi. And, uh, anyway, so if you found that mushroom, you literally had to eat it right then and there on the spot. 
and tell no one, not your spouse, not your children. It was just like, it was a thing because you were literally, if you found that mushroom, supposed to give it to the emperor. Uh, so I think it was like in the 1980s, uh, the Japanese found a way of mass, you know, producing reishi for the masses. But, you know, in, you know, in olden times, it literally was only, if you know, it was only really growing in these in these old forests, usually by these great spiritual mountains. So there is a lot of like spiritual energy that's like from the mountains that really seeped into the mushrooms themselves. And um, I go on all day about reishi, but I remember that we, you know, we got you and usually reishi is, is very expensive, but we literally got it like that day. We, we got this very, very good deal uh, for the reishi, which had been picked probably like an hour beforehand. And, uh, you know, we climbed to the top of the mountain, we made it. And I remember it was just this feeling of like homecoming um, for me. And it was so interesting because it was really foggy. And uh, there was a part like, you know, like, you know, right, you know, very close to the top uh, where it's just like mists. It's just like this, you, cause at, after a certain point you're, you're in the clouds, like that's, it's not just mist. It's like, you're in the clouds and, uh, you are, there's like a little plaque where it's like, you can go, you know, stand, uh, you know, kind of, you know, right. Like you're kind of at the edge, you're protected, but you're at the edge. And it's this moment where you kind of lean in, you lean in. And I think this part of the mountain is like, it's like called like the dragon's pass, something like that. Because as you're leaning in, you're actually, you know, seeing what it would be like to be that dragon in mid flight. So again, like we're seeing, you know, we're seeing the dragons, but also, so I got to the top of the mountain, it's covered with mist and most people do not make it to the top. This was hours, hours to get there. And as luck would have it, right when we got to the top of the mountain, it started pouring rain, <laughs> started pouring rain. And so we had, you know, a bus to catch. So we had to like, you know, book it down the mountain. But it was amazing because the people who like, most, most of the people just like scattered and they didn't feel the same urgency that, you know, that me, and as I said, there was three other people I was with we had to get back down, you know, to make our bus back home to Chufu. And uh, so I remember literally going down the mountain, the way up there. So, I mean, you know, there's so many people um, in China. So the way up, you know, was really populated and the way down, it was like, like nothing else I'd ever experienced to this day in my life. I have goosebumps because it was just, you know, the rain was, you know, was pouring down and, you know, at one point, like, you know, my companions like went ahead of me. So it was just me by myself on this mountain with not another soul in sight. And it was just me in the rain, in like the peace and serenity and the, I, you know, dare I say the magic of this mountain. And uh, it was so interesting because at one point, you know, at, at this, I don't know why my companions went ahead and left me. <laughs> like I was, I was the only girl. Um, but so they just kind of went ahead. They were faster than me. That's why. Uh, and so I, you know, I remember at one point I had this feeling of like, I don't think I'm making it down this mountain. Um, I just, I just felt that. And I was, I was, you know, really in this moment of, of peace and transcendence, but I just was like, I don't think I'm making it down this mountain. It's, it's too far. And then this was, uh, really before I had had, you know, you know, more of the spiritual awakening that I would have later in my life. I literally just felt 
lit from within. I just, I felt this, this light. Um, it was like, I, it started like in my heart and it poured like through my very being through all of my heart and like through, through everything. And it was just this force that was like, you will get down the mountain. It was this force, um, this loving protective energy that was so sacred that in that, you know, in that moment, I just felt so seen and so held by the spirit of the mountain, by the spirit of the mountain, by the emperors who had come before, um, you know, by my guides, my team, by the universe itself. And so I just thought it was so interesting that, you know, in China, like a lot of the stuff we read today, um, you know, like there's, there's not as much emphasis on the spirituality, on the magic, but I just wanted to share like this very like active experience I had of the land as, as a way of, of sharing that the magic is still there. It's there in the land. It's there in the stories. And another funny thing, cause I did get to the bottom of the mountain. I literally attribute me getting down to this, you know, to this beautiful divine light, to this force that gave me the strength to keep going. Um, that's serious business, like going up and down the mountain of the emperors. <laughs> um, and, uh, so I remember like, you know, we got to the bottom, um, all together, we were like soaked, soaked through and, um, there were uh, three of us. Uh, we were all going back to the same place. And uh, so we got home and immediately brewed the reishi. It was like, we need to brew this now. And because uh, we had been literally, we had gone down the mountain in the pouring rain for hours. It wasn't a quick descent. It was hours in the rain. And uh, talk about like baptism. Um, it was like this, you know, very, but it was Oh, it was, it was, it was heavenly. It was, it was freezing and heavenly at the same time. But so, uh, we had, um, you know, we had the, the, the reishi mushroom tea. Like I remember, uh, this was right before I was leaving China to go back to America. And one of the teachers who was, who was brewing the tea, who had been on the mountain with me, just was like, just drink as much of this. You can just keep going, keep. And it was funny because I mentioned there that I was in a group of four and, um, the fourth person was actually one of my students. And so he was really our guide. He was the one that like got us there, helped us like read all the signs. And uh, he was the only one of us who did not have the reishi mushroom tea. The three of us who did, all of us were like the picture of perfect health. We were all great. He was like, this was, you know, a young, like, you know, this guy was like, I think he was a basketball player. He was like super young, super strong. But he, when I, the last time I saw him, you know, he was like sick as a dog from our, you know, from our hike up the mountain, from being in the rain. And it just always struck me and the magic of like, you know, I get, I'm again, like the reishi mushroom, just because, like I said, the only difference, we all had the exact same journey, but like the three of us who didn't get sick, uh, were the ones that, you know, had, you know, we'd had this like, you know, you know, special, uh, reishi tea, like the mushroom from, from this great spiritual holy mountain. And, you know, my student who got sick, he actually, I mean, it's funny, uh, we at the very end, when he was sick, we gave him the last of the tea. So I'm hoping that he, he recovered and got better. But I just, I love that story in the sense that it shows the power of the mushroom. And just like, it gives you a sense, it gives you a sense of wonder, it gives you a sense of all that really is possible. 
Um, so I just wanted to, you know, to share that. That's one of my favorite stories of the land. But I just remember that story was so important for me because that was one of my last days in China before I left. And so that was uh, 2013. And I know I, I left China, came back to America. But it was like three days after that. And um, I share that because when I said goodbye to my students, um, and I, I don't know if I said this, but I was, when I was there, I was 23. And a lot of my students were like 21. Like there was, we were very, very close in age. And I remember saying goodbye to them and thinking, and not even just thinking, but telling them, oh, it's okay, I will be back. Um, next year, like I'll, I'll be back and I'm going to see you. And I remember like the way that they looked at me because they'd had other foreign teachers before. And I think they knew and like, they, they knew how rare it was for someone to return. And, um, I, to this day, it's been 10 years and I have not yet returned to China. And so part of like my desire to, to create this is because my whole life changed my life totally changed when I, it wasn't just that I, you know, I lived in another country for a year. I just saw the beauty of what happens when different cultures come together to understand each other and to learn from each other. That's what, like, it was that cooperation. And I really feel like that was the true spirit of Confucius. Like I said, it's not just friendship. Um, it's not, it's not just friendship, you know, like from like, you know, someone like in your immediate circle, but the friendship between cultures, the friendship between nations and really honoring, like having a great honor, reverence, you know, love and respect. That is one of the great teachings of Confucius and, um, a way of creating harmony, not just in our own lives, but harmony throughout the world. And so that is like one of the big things I took away um, from my time there. And I just wanted to impart that to you um, just so that like, you know, you could, you know, see in real time um, the, the power, you know, and the value of what happens when we open up, you know, we open up to teachings from around the world, whether we fully agree with them or we don't. And in today's world, we're so, when we, when we have a belief or we have an idea, we want everyone to, you know, like they have to see it our way. And there's something very powerful about just that openness, uh, that openness to, even if you don't resonate with the idea, staying open to what it might have to teach you. So this is just the beginning. This is just the first taste of Stories of Light. I hope that you are enjoying these stories. And uh, my intention is really just to like, to sprinkle in magic from all over the world. To sprinkle in that magic and just, just really, you know, open, you know, open your heart, you know, to, I feel like, you know, like there have been so many, so many stories, you know, all around the world and so many different cultures. And I feel like when you hear each of those stories, it is a moment where something magical activates inside you. It is like a little pearl. It's like, I feel like each of these stories, there's a little pearl. And 
they light something up inside of us. And uh, that's why if we take our time, you know, we might, you know, go through our lives and not think anything is magical. But, you know, from my earliest days, when I was a kid, I remember I would just be mesmerized when I, when I would, when I would sit in a story circle, you know, and the teacher would read, you know, would read one of these, like one of these tales. I just, I, I could just feel something inside me just expand and just like shift into this, just like this great joy, this great bliss of being. And uh, so that's my intention with these, these little mini stories uh, for stories of light is to help you just like for, for one moment of the day, shift into that pearl of magic, that pearl that is within. And um, you can see that if you want as the dragon pearl, or it's just, you know, it's just this pearl that you can carry with you. And the more that you listen to these stories, um, I just feel like, you know, the bigger that pearl will grow. So that's just, you know, the, the first episode. And um, I am so excited to see you next time. Over the next year, my, my intention, my promise to you is that there will be stories from all over. There will be stories from, from India, from Persia, uh, from, uh, let's see, like from Spain, France, Norway. There, it's, there, is, there is no place that does not have a voice. And, uh, that really is my intention with this beautiful year, 2023, uh, really bringing in the magic, the magic of legends, the magic of stories from all four corners of the globe. And I hope that, you know, over this year that these stories inspire you. I hope that they motivate you. I hope that you find gems, like little, little pearls of wisdom and insight that make a difference for you in your life.